Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Acts 17 from verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God's overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, however you say that, a member of the Areopagus. Also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Sam. Well, it was easier in Athens to find gods than men. Well, that's what one Roman writer said about Athens back in Paul's day. There was something like 30,000 gods uh, for a population of only 10,000 people. And Athens, as Luke writes, uh, the book of Acts, represents the height of pagan culture. It had a rich cultural heritage. It was the cradle of democracy that we experience today. And uh, it had literature, sculpture and philosophy that, that were unparalleled in the ancient world. In verse 16, as Sam read, We saw that that Paul uh, went into the city and he saw that the city was full of idols. It was a centre of learning, but it was full of idols. Every gateway and porch carried an idol. Paul was in a city where there were no known Christians and most people had never heard about Jesus. And this is so similar 
to Adelaide today. Most people really just don't have a good understanding of Christianity. And we've seen as we've gone through our series on Acts how uh, many of the previous sermons have had a Jewish audience. So it's meant that Paul and Stephen and Peter have been able to build on this this shared understanding of who God was. They had the Old Testament uh, that they could build on. The, The Jews were looking for a Messiah. So that's what Paul does. In verse 17, he goes to the synagogue and uh, he speaks with the Jews there. And 100 years ago in Australia, you could often speak about the gospel, about Jesus Christ, and you could have a fairly good idea that people knew what you were speaking about because of Sunday school or the, the general society was familiar with Christianity. But this is why today's chapter is actually so interesting because it's so applicable to today's society in Adelaide. Most, like most Australians, uh, most Athenians uh, had never cracked open a Bible before. You know, uh, I heard of someone walking along the street uh, with his girlfriend and she had a cross, uh, a wooden cross as her necklace. And a guy actually stopped them and he asked them and said, "Uh, can you tell me why you're wearing a plus sign as a necklace? And that's, uh, that's the sort of um, idea sometimes people have of Christianity. But today I want to propose that in order to begin to share the gospel in Australia, we need to first understand where people are at on their spiritual journey and then share a relevant part of the gospel with them. In verse 21, it says, The Athenians and the foreigners who lived there, they would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. You know, I think that that's uh, similar to our society. Uh, If you're one day behind in the news, you're almost out of date. Uh, Eric Hoffer wrote that the the fear of becoming a has-been, in terms of keeping up to date with everything, keeps some people from becoming anything. And the encouraging part of, of Athens as well, I think, is that the amount of idols is the same sort of thing we face today, but we just have modern forms. Uh, a lot of people have idols in terms of things. So it's the, it's the flashy car, it's the beautiful house that they're going to get. But sometimes there can be actually a hidden idol behind these things. So the, the idols actually are non-material and the reason that they want the flashy car or the house is because the idol is status. They want recognition by their peers. They want something that impresses others. Perhaps also we have the idol of self-fulfilment, both in and outside of the church, that we sort of couch Christianity as just another add-on in order to better express myself, to better myself. And Paul was up against two opposing philosophies in the day. So one were the Epicureans, and they were more about pleasure, and then there were the Stoics, which were about discipline and endurance. And the, the Epicureans said, well, life is all about pleasure. It's uh, you, you want freedom from pain and anxiety. Uh, you want to avoid extremes, to live a balanced life. And our morals are really uh, similar to what uh, many Australians define. Our morals are defined by our pleasure. You can do what you like as long as no harm comes to anyone else. Whereas the Stoics were sort of much more about uh, the discipline of life and self-control and that you had to follow your reasoning skills and be self-sufficient. 
Uh, I had a, a guy at work who's got very similar sort of um, uh, stoic philosophies in that if you can be free from all of the outward uh, distractions and pressures on your life, it's almost Buddhist thinking in a way, then uh, that's how you live your life uh, away from this anxiety. You're undisturbed from all of those outward pressures. And so in Adelaide today, I think that these two people, um, these two ways of thinking is similar to what most people you run up against today. And you could say that the Epicurean's pursuit of pleasure is like most non-religious people. It's all about pleasing yourself. Whereas the Stoics, having a life of self-discipline, is much more like the moral code that a lot of religious people try to fulfil. In verse 18, it says that uh, Paul was perceived by them to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish therefore to know what these things mean. So the first reaction that Paul got was one of confusion and interest. And they took him to the council, which, which among many different roles, they had the task of accepting new gods into the community. I imagine they must have been quite busy with that amount of gods. Uh, and then the other reaction that he got is, is some people said, and what does this babbler wish to say? And a, a babbler uh, is like, uh, the word means seed picker. So the idea is a, is a bird going around picking up scattered seeds all over the place. And they were really just being a little bit condescending about Paul and saying, he's going around picking up ideas and then he's cobbling them together and presenting them to us secondhand uh, as a sort of philosophy. But I think you'll probably come up against this uh, in your workplace or with your friends and they'll say condescending things about the Bible, uh, that, that the Bible's a bit out of date or that uh, there's too many contradictions in it. Um, it's full of ludicrous ideas and in the past, sometimes, knowing the previous reaction that people have had, it's, it's definitely stopped me from sharing the good news about Jesus with people. I wonder whether Paul um, got over, uh, whether he ever felt ashamed to share the good news about Jesus. I mean, after all, he was one of the best evangelists in the New Testament. Um, surely people had just listened to his rhetoric in awe, um, but what I find really encouraging is this, that eight times in the New Testament, Paul writes to the churches and he asks for things to, that they could pray for him for. And three times out of those eight, Paul asks for boldness in sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. So it seems like Paul did at least suffer with some fear of being rejected. Uh, certainly, he had much more reason than I do to be afraid because he had suffered a lot of physical persecution for sharing the gospel. I mean, he was uh, beaten, thrown into prison, almost stoned to death. Uh, in Australia, we won't face that. But how did Paul get over the fears that he might have? Well, I think that comes to our first point, which is Paul's motivation for evangelism. Paul had conversations in the marketplace in verse 16. Uh, and But before he did this, he... He walked around Athens and his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. 
And that word means that he was deeply distressed. In fact, he was even tormented. Um, And the, the same word is used in the Old Testament to describe God being very jealous of people that are worshipping other false gods instead of him, the one true God. We could sort of react against this concept of jealousy, but really, uh, we have it when, say, your friend is doing something that you know is harmful to them, you have this mixture of concern and compassion and indignation all at once, and that's really the jealousy that God feels when we try to pursue anything other than him. And the foundation that we need for sharing the good news about Jesus with other people is really this mixture of concern and love. Uh, in fact, I, I, looking back on um, when I've been too afraid to speak, uh, I would say that really I haven't... Um, it's come about because I haven't had this love and concern for people. And then I think if I have sort of forced myself to do it, it's not a very convincing thing uh, because, as you know, the, the message, as much of it is the delivery of the message as what the, the, that you're communicating as much as the message itself. And so that's the same, really, with the gospel. If you're not really convinced and, and just awed by it and amazed by it, then people probably aren't going to find it very convincing. So the greatest, that's the greatest thing that's really helped me with boldness in sharing about Jesus with people. It's not some sort of plan of the gospel. It's not having a whole list of answers difficult to difficult questions that I know, even though they can be good things. It's coming from spending time reading God's word, uh, understanding just how much he loves us all. I mean, I have never deserved God's love. And even after what some people might look on my life and say, oh, you know, the last decade of Mark's life has been sort of good Christian living, I still don't deserve God's love. It's that amazing that he would do so much for me. Jeremiah talks about a burning fire within him that he couldn't hold back as he had to, had to try to persuade uh, Israel to repent from their sin and to see that he was a loving God that wanted their best. And if I want to know others to know Christ, it's got to be this mixture of the the love of Jesus, wanting them to know that, wanting them to know the hope of life after death, but then also mixed with concern, like Paul had, of knowing that they're making poor choices without God, of knowing their eternal destiny in hell without Jesus. Next we see how Paul went about doing this, Paul's method of evangelism. In verse 17, it says, He reasoned in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. So we see that Paul started where people are, physically. He went to the non-Christians. He didn't ask them to come to church, although that that could be a good thing, but he he went to where they went to work. He went to where they went shopping or to be entertained. The marketplace was where everything happened back in ancient society. There was no sort of remote work via the internet, they came there to know, to work out what was the news, the latest news, the business deals. And he went daily there. Uh, he was having daily people, daily conversations with people wherever they were. And he contributed interesting ideas which they weren't familiar with. 
You know, I think if we look at the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And even some of the religious people criticised him for being so much with the lost that they called him a friend of sinners, which was a a term of derision. But we need to be as much with non-Christians, as much as possible, to to, to have opportunity to share this amazing news. If you're if they're interested in sport, then join them at a game. Find out why they find it so fulfilling. If, you're, if you've watched a movie, talk about what they think might be the big story, the overarching story behind their lives. Paul says that we're to be all things to all people. If you have religious friends, consider going to their places of worship to find out what, what their life is really about. One of the currencies of love is time. What activity might you sacrifice this month in order to spend more time with people who don't know about Jesus? Do you need to stay a little later at the gym maybe just to to chat with people or do you need to, to align your lunch with someone else at work so you can have a conversation uh, rather than sitting at your desk? Um... I personally wonder if the Great Commission was made a command because uh, it was something that we don't do very naturally when we start getting comfortable with our Christian lives. We, we need to plan to spend more time and this is something that's changed in my life over the past few months in that I'm actually starting to, the people that I pray for, I've started to schedule um, when I might catch up with coffee or or just send them a message or give them a ring. This is one of the primary goals of our life. And then I think we need to start, as we start where people are physically but also spiritually. In previous sermons we see that uh, Peter, Paul and Stephen, when they were preaching to the Jews, they started with this foundation of understanding the Old Testament. And so if you have a friend which is Um, quite supportive of their Christian background, then use it uh, as a basis from where to start. But in Athens, Paul doesn't have that basis. So it says in verse 22 that Paul says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. He knows his listeners. He spent time looking at their idols, observing their culture. And this is one thing that he can admire about them, genuinely, that they were devoted to their gods. And his task of establishing a common ground with people wasn't an easy one because he had these two opposing views, Epicureans and Stoics, but both agreed that the world was made by a powerful being. So he starts with that. And the Epicureans, well, they believe that God could be known and that an all-powerful God doesn't need a temple to dwell in. So you can see that Paul mentions that. And for the Stoics, he, he says, well, God is immortal. He's, uh, there is divine providence and there is divine judgment. What might be the common ground that you can establish with your friend? Well, it could be something like a shared concern for the environment. And that could lead to a conversation on why is the environment valuable? Where did the, the earth come from in the first place? Or it could be that you're both concerned about Racism. And that leads to a conversation about why are humans equal? If, you don't, if you're not sure about a common ground, 
then find out through conversations. Do a lot of listening, a lot of asking questions. Paul also shows us how to get conversations to go deeper through this sermon. And one of these is making interesting statements. Paul says, uh, uh, the Athenians said, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Paul was invited to speak because he had made interesting comments in the marketplace. Picture this, you're, you're back at work uh, on Monday and one of the usual questions I get is, what did you do on your weekend? Well, one way in which I've been able to have a lot of meaningful conversations with people is through uh, presenting them with a couple of options about what I did on the weekend. So I will say, oh, I went on a hike or, you know, I watched a movie or some other interesting thing. But then I'll also say something like, um, I went to a talk where I heard that God satisfies the missing spiritual dimension in our lives. Now, or it, it might not be that. It might be just something about God. It could be about money. Uh, could be whatever the topic was on. And I found that this gives people an option. If they're not keen to go deeper, they won't ask any questions. But if they are keen, they do. And it's really generated some amazing opportunities to talk about who God is, who Jesus is. Um, and so I think we need to express some of the things that uh, we, we learn. It might be a podcast. Uh, it can be all sorts of um, uh, means and forms. Uh, but to be able to express them in a way now, I guess without the Christian jargon as well, I'm careful to avoid saying, I went to church to hear a sermon by my pastor. You know, all of those things, you can almost sense uh, the muscles stiffening in people as they hear some of these Christian words. And if they've had um, a background uh, of Christianity that they're rejecting, then they probably won't listen to the rest of what you've got to say. But being able to just talk about God in natural terms and present it as an option for them to engage with uh, is really um, helpful. And sometimes I think it's probably the only morsel of uh, Christian truth that some Australians will receive in months. Uh, I think also uh, sometimes I've, I've talked about a podcast that I listen to and I can ask them, you know, do you have any spiritual aspects to your life? And that's a really non-threatening question because the answers are just so broad. They can, they can talk about yoga, they can talk about meditation, uh, but it really helps me to understand where these people are coming from, what's important in their lives. And I think uh, I can also, uh, we see that Paul sometimes adds a little bit of spice to his statements. So he says in Acts 17, 23, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. So what therefore you worship as unknown, I want to declare to you. So Paul says, you know, uh, I agree with you. I can see that this, but I think you might have just overlooked something. I think I can actually show you who this unknown God is. And, and uh, Paul also, through his speech, talks about uh, the Epicureans, they idolised a life um, that was like their gods. It was aloof from the hustle and bustle of life. But Paul says, well, actually, God is the creator God 
Uh, He wants to get involved in your life. He sent his son to be part of creation. The Epicureans, well, they believe that after death, that's the end. And that's like a lot of Australians as well. But Paul says, well, no, I think that there is uh, an existence after life. There's going to be judgment. And the proof of that is the resurrection of this man, Jesus. Now, just as it would today, this created a bit of a stir. People didn't believe him. Um, People rising from the dead, uh, because the Greeks didn't believe that. But Paul stated it anyway. And I I find that interesting that he had the boldness to say some of these things, despite knowing the reaction that he'd get. He still said it anyway, although he did leave it right until the end of his speech. Um, Paul said other things that that really undermined the way of thinking that people had. So, for example, uh, he said, you don't need to create a place for God to live in a temple. Why would a creator God uh, need to be dependent upon humans? It doesn't make sense. And I think you see that in the Old Testament, in in prophets. Sometimes they make sarcastic uh, comments even about the various idols that people held on to. And I think in the same way, we should be able to question people's worldview in a kind, gracious way, but to help them to just put a a little stone in their shoe, to help them to to think, oh, perhaps it's not so clear-cut. Perhaps I haven't got my understanding, my philosophy of life is not so concrete after all. Paul says, God made from one man every nation. I mean, that concept is laughed at today by modern uh, scientists, but, you know, it was laughed at by the Athenians as well back then. But it's not that it's an illogical statement, it's just a different way to how they thought. Another technique that Paul uses is to engage the people's interesting statements. So you see in verse 27, it says that, uh, Paul says, God made humanity to seek God, perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he's actually not far away from each one of us, for in him we move and have our being. And as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So Paul knew their culture enough that he made two quotations from their own poets. I think in the same way we really need to understand how our culture thinks, how we can make uh, relevant statements, how we can be prepared for how people are going to think of of the lessons that they've learnt from movies and then engage them on uh, helping them to think deeper about the concepts. One of the uh, the greatest um, sources of meaningful conversations for me is on the the word faith. Uh, A number of Uh, People use faith in all sorts of contexts and even if they're just talking about faith in religion in general. And one of the things I like to talk about is just to say that the dictionary definition of faith might be that faith is a leap in the dark, which is what most Aussies think of religion. But the definition in the Bible is actually faith is to rely on, to be persuaded by. So it implies that there's evidence. And so it's often meant... Uh, that I've uh, been able to just talk a little bit about my own journey, that when I went to university, I wasn't quite sure whether uh, Christianity was true after all. And so I looked at the historical, the archaeological and scientific evidence. 
And then that meant that my faith was grounded on evidence. And some uh, of my work colleagues have really been shocked at this. How could, uh, how could faith be anything to do with evidence? But that's the Bible's view. And I think that we face a lot of these things uh, in terms of explaining Christianity. Is, uh, there'll be, it's not dumping the truck all at once. We just really have to work on um, explaining small aspects in, in just everyday conversations. The Epicureans had their moral code. Uh, you know, people can do their own thing as long as it doesn't harm anyone. And I think that that's a statement that I've had people say a number of times and it's been helpful to ask, where do you get this rule from? And it leads to a more meaningful conversation. Uh, one time I talked, uh, a fellow said that his children went to a Christian school and I knew that he wasn't a Christian, so I just asked him, so why did you send them to a Christian school? And it led to a very interesting conversation about morals uh, and about um, how he, uh, where he thought morals came from and, and why he thought we needed them. But I think sometimes when people make an, a statement, we're a little bit afraid to engage. Uh, I've certainly been that way in the past and I've made two mistakes. One is fear. I've not known what to say, so don't say anything. And sometimes that sort of almost amounts to like a implicit approval. And then other times I've sort of confronted so I said, oh, no, that's not right, and uh, almost made them feel like they feel um, ignorant. Um, but I think one of the best approaches is to ask a question. So it's to, it's, it's to ask what they believe. In verse 23, uh, Paul talks about this altar of the unknown God. But I think in the marketplace he was asking people, why do you have this altar to the unknown God? And in my experience, questions are one of the best ways to lead to spiritual conversations with people. Questions are so good because they take the pressure off both sides of the, uh, both partners in the conversation. You know, they're a, they're a friendly way. If you ask someone a question about what they believe or what they're thinking, I mean, that means you're actually showing a genuine interest in them. And then you, you learn a lot about them anyway. It's, uh, it's almost a way of uh, finding out what uh, their spiritual minefield is. Um, you find out their religious background, things like this, and you realise, oh, maybe that's a topic that you know, I'll avoid. I can see they're a bit sensitive on that. I'll use other, um, other topics to communicate the gospel. And questions don't state your own view. They're not like a pushy form of stating this is true. Um, questions basically just mean that you can sit there and enjoy the conversation. You can relax. And then when you get a little bit more experience with questions, you can even steer the conversation. In the Western world, it's sometimes a bit um, unpopular to be told uh, what to believe or how to believe it. But with questions, you can help a person to realise and to come to a knowledge of the truth themselves in a non-confrontational way. What do you mean by that is a classic that I've used many times. Uh, people mention the word God or some other religious terminology and just asking, what do you mean by 
God or faith has really opened up uh, meaningful conversations. But you might be thinking, well, um, what if they ask me a difficult question back? Uh, Paul was, I mean, he was in front of the intellectuals of his day. Um, I'm sure he was quite concerned in, in a way about this possibility. I think if we look at the life of Jesus, we see Jesus 25 times um, was asked direct questions. But interestingly, only four times he actually gave a direct response. 21 other times he asked a question back. So, and I, but I think the reason that he did that um, was not to be clever. I think it was because he could have given an authoritative answer as the Son of God. But he was far more interested in discussions with people, in genuine conversation. I mean, we do see Jesus preaching uh, in the local synagogues, but, but overall, a lot of his uh, conversation was just with people he encountered along the way in daily life. So if someone asks you a difficult question, well, as Simon said the other week, a great response, if you don't know the answer, is just to say, look, I'm not sure, to be authentic about it and to, to say, look, I'll get back to you. But make sure you do. You know, go up and, and look up an article uh, and then get back to them with a video or a, an internet resource that you've found helpful uh, or even invite someone to the conversation that you, you feel will be able to answer the question. Or we can do like Jesus did, ask a question back. Ask them to clarify uh, some terminology. And sometimes I've found that this has actually led to discovering that there was actually a question behind the question. So if they're asking me about why doesn't God do something about child abuse in the church or something like that, if I ask, well, what do you mean by God? Uh, sometimes I've found that their real question is, is God distant and aloof or does he actually have an effect on this world? Does he actually have power? And so it, I don't even have to answer the original question in the first place. Because we've, uh, because we've got, I guess, a bit sidetracked, but then we've, we've found that really they've, they've got an underlying question that is, is the cause for all of these surface questions. There's a really good quote uh, by Rebecca Pippett, and she wrote, writes some great um, books on evangelism. She says, Our problem in evangelism is not that we don't have enough information. It is that we don't know how to be ourselves. We forget that we're called to be witnesses to what we've seen and known, not to what we don't know. The key on our part is authenticity and obedience, not a doctorate in theology. We haven't grasped that it really is okay for us to be who we are when we are with seekers, even if we don't have all the answers to their questions or if our knowledge of scripture is limited. Finally, I'd like to look at Paul's message of Christ. What's surprising in Paul's message is that he doesn't mention sin and he doesn't mention Jesus. I mean, he does mention Jesus and the, and the resurrection in the marketplace, but really because of understanding his audience, they had never heard of Jesus before. He had to talk about the background to the gospel. So through the sermon, Paul presents God as the creator the sustainer, the ruler, our father, and then finally, our judge. 
And so, really, you can see Paul is presenting a relevant part of the gospel. And you see this through a lot of the sermons in Acts, is that the preachers didn't present the whole gospel, as we might call it. The, you know, you might have various um, uh, methods you go through, the, the four spiritual laws or whatever it might be. He only presented a part of the gospel that was really relevant to the people asking the question. And sometimes I've made this mistake as well. I've sort of felt, oh, well, I need to share the whole gospel at once. But I don't think that that's the pattern that we see uh, through Acts. I think we see a pattern of replying with relevant parts of the gospel and trusting that the Holy Spirit will help to just take a brick out of their spiritual barrier to considering Christ and not driving up the whole bulldozer uh, to something that they will just reject out of hand, um, but, but just taking out, helping them to consider one aspect of the gospel. It's also worth noticing as well that, that Paul does say people will need to repent. You know, to put it another way, our uh, faith is not, um, it's not a treaty with God. So it's not like when there's a treaty, you have two countries and and they can still retain their own sovereignty and their own borders and they can trade with each other. But Paul is saying, he still says that really repentance is surrender. It's when uh, one country loses its borders uh, and it submits to the other country. And that's what it means to surrender your life to Jesus. That's what it means to repent. And it's worth it, I can tell you. I mean... He's a loving, caring master that wants your best. So how do we prepare um, if we can't respond to questions the same way? Well, I don't think that... um, I I guess I think you really need to just know the gospel well. Uh, It comes back to uh, what I was previously saying is is in reading the Bible and understanding it, being able to express it without the sort of all the Christian jargon that we get used to in the church. Uh, a great technique is to know Jesus' parables really well because everybody loves a good story and a story can communicate a principle so well uh, rather than perhaps the principled formula of the gospel that we're used to. And you see this again and again, that's the way that Jesus taught things, through parables. And eventually, I think as you ask people questions about what they believe, uh, there comes a time when they uh, realise your concern and your interest and the way that you've uh, shown your um, winsome um, concern for them at work, that that they'll ask you, what do you believe? It's interesting that this sermon shows that we get different reactions. Uh, Some mocked Paul for believing in the resurrection of the dead and others said, well, that was an interesting talk, we want to hear you more on this. And then there were a couple that believed. And I think this is the same sort of response that we get today as well. Some will mock you and some you can't predict and you're surprised that they are actually interested in what you have to say. They want to engage further with you over future conversations. I read a stat in America that half of the unchurched Americans said that they intend to return to active church participation someday. And one in five said that they would start to go back to church if someone would just talk to them about spiritual matters. 
I think there are a lot of people in our society who want to talk about these things, but it's the sort of the Aussie culture that says, oh, we can't talk about religion or politics. And so they assume that everyone's like that. Today we've seen that Paul's message to Athens was one of the most relevant sermons to us in the book of Acts, for reaching people in Adelaide today. To begin to share the good news with people, we really need to understand where they are at on their spiritual journey and then just share a relevant part of the gospel with them. And Paul got to know people by spending time with them. He engaged in what they valued, what they respected. He found out about their culture. So I think over the next month, think about how can I relate to a relative that I know? Is it having them out for a meal? Or is it my old schoolmate that I can catch up for coffee? Or do I need to send someone a message? Uh, If you keep praying for them, and as I've found, if you start to pray for them, then it reminds you to schedule in something on your calendar. And then when you catch up, find out where they are spiritually. Work out what their interests are. Uh, The interesting statements you might make might provoke questions. Or maybe it's an interesting statement they make that you can take up and ask them a question and it it means the conversation becomes more meaningful. And remember to ask questions. It's just such a great non-threatening way of learning about them and even potentially steering the conversation. And then there's there's authenticity in in, admitting that you don't have the answer. And you will get a different reaction. Don't be discouraged by rejection. I mean, we can see here that Paul was rejected. Jesus was rejected so many times as the greatest evangelist ever. But it's worth the risk. Keep asking for God for opportunities. And Paul overcame his fear of rejection because of his, his knowledge and his love and concern for these people, of knowing their eternal destiny, of knowing what they are missing out on in this life. I think we don't speak like Paul spoke and we don't feel like Paul felt because we don't see what Paul saw. Paul, when he looked on the idols, uh, a number of times the Greek word really means that he considered. It wasn't just looking, he was thinking about what are these things that people are worshipping. It really got on his heart. It really caused him grief. Just like Jesus wept over Jerusalem, Paul was grieved for these people. And I think are you grieved for, um, for people that are in your life, that, that their life, they're committing their life to something which is just temporal, of no eternal use? Are you and I, are we spending time with people? Are we planning for opportunities? So I just want to encourage you to, um, with a few of these um, tips that Paul has helped us with today, to take some conversations that you have to a more meaningful level. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.